Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Folta. I'm a podcast host and a professor, and I'm very concerned about how we communicate the science. Now, about a year ago, it must have been February 4th or so, we did our first podcast on the COVID-19 pandemic long before it was a pandemic, right? Just when it was a curious new virus. And with breakneck speed, we saw the production of a new vaccine and multiple vaccines actually that were a, that were there to provide some sort of pharmacological intervention to help stave off the continued spread of the virus. Until then, we didn't have a good therapeutic. We didn't have a good vaccine. So we were relying on other methods like masking and dis- distance to help curb the spread of the virus. But now we have a vaccine. And in the eyes of many, it seemed to be a miracle. But at the same time, many people are hesitant about receiving it. And so today we're going to talk about that vaccine hesitancy, or maybe even some vaccine denialism, but with the idea of how do we get a vaccination into the arms of people to help limit the spread of the pandemic. So I'm speaking today with Dr. Raul Gupta. He's the Chief Medical and Health Officer for March of Dimes. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Gupta. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I think this is great because I really wanted to speak with somebody about this particular topic. And we're here in the middle of a pandemic. Over half a million people have died from this in the United States alone, many more worldwide. Um, But we have a vaccine. We have multiple vaccines. As a medical professional, how do you see the unprecedented rapid development of vaccinations to meet this public health threat? Well, Kevin, I think it's a remarkable progress in our ability to create an effective vaccine within months of a pandemic attack. And we remain still in the middle of a pandemic emergency, which may last for a while. But the fact that so quickly we have safe an effective vaccine, not just one, but multiple vaccines across the country and across the globe, really, as the virus continues to ravage along with its variants, is uh, something to be really uh, proud of and feel encouraged about. No, I agree 100%. I was really impressed by how fast these multiple vaccines from multiple companies using different strategies came about. And my my folks like you and me, you know, we're celebrating this breakthrough, but we still have this problem with vaccine hesitancy. And how do you define what that is? Well, I think it's important to understand that when a new uh, drug or a product is introduced into a community, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to make sure you're the most uh, well-informed person, because after all, you're taking an injection into your body. But it's also important to have accurate information. 
and and feel that you are masked with all of the most current scientific information that you can have in order to respond. So it, it becomes very, very critical that we work both as the scientific community, but also as communities as large to address any of these questions that may sometimes translate into being hesitant about vaccines um, and an answer to the people's um, you know, full willingness to listen. At the end of the day, people have to make that decision, but we want to make sure that they have the best information at hand when they uh, go ahead and make that decision. But I think you frame the edges of what the problem is, is that people don't necessarily trust the information they get, say, from the CDC or from Dr. Fauci or from the World Health Organization, but they'll believe uh, you know, vaccines kill people.com or, you know, or, uh, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. They will listen to the other sources that they trust and say, this is the good information, not the information you're telling me because, um, you know, you just work in conjunction with big pharma or something like that. So how do we win those people? How do we help them trust the legitimate peer-reviewed scientific establishment? Sure, I think, Kevin, that's a great question. Um, I'll go back to the history of Marshall Dimes, if you allow me to. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, you know, back in the 1950s uh, and prior to that, we had a similar type of a scourge, uh, a virus that was, um, you know, killing and disabling tons of Americans, especially in summers to the point they were quarantined, there was fear across, and there was a race for vaccine development where Marshall Dimes actually funded rather than the federal government, the development of vaccine. It was a community problem, and we looked at this as a community challenge and a community solution. So when the vaccine in its own time was developed in a record record time, uh, it was the trials were held and funded by March Dimes, and people came flocking to take the vaccine. There was still some hesitancy. There were still some gaps in the sense that there was some, you know, uh, difficult um, distribution problems, making sure that there were problem, uh, not problems with um, getting the vaccine, the compounds, the contaminants. So, but at the end of the day, the nation came together, not as just individuals or states or communities, but as one nation. And because of that, and within you know, a couple of decades of the release of the vaccine, we eliminated polio from the face of the United States as one nation. And we all bear the benefits of that today. People often don't even know what polio is or what polio can do to you. When we come back, fast forward to COVID-19, we need to make sure that it's just not us physicians, but we want to make sure our communities are armed with actual knowledge of what the vaccines are, how do they work, how do they impact, and what are we learning as time goes on. It's okay to have a side effect, for example, sore arm. I had it. Um, you know, and it's okay when we say that here are the side effects possibly of the vaccine. It's important to understand that. But then again, there is going to be a lot of false information and it's up to us and up to folks to figure out the differences between the two. So it's important that, as we are seeing now, more healthcare professionals, more frontline workers, patients, including pregnant women and seniors, 
taking charge of their own health and getting their shots when eligible, we're encouraging them, are encouraging them to continue to do the same. No, very good point. I, I guess one really interesting thing that comes up, though, when you talk about, you know, especially frontline workers, is that there was a Kaiser Family Foundation survey last December that said some of the groups who were most likely to exhibit vaccine hesitancy were healthcare workers or people in healthcare, I should say. And I didn't know how to answer that, like because people would say, well, obviously it must be physicians and nurses, but I kind of don't believe that. It must be other folks involved in a very peripheral way, at least f- from my guess. But could you illuminate that a little bit for me? Who who are the people who are hesitant within healthcare? Sure. So first of all, the way I would like to uh, talk about this is, look, uh, when you're in a community, your healthcare workers are a reflection of the community. We often think about our police officers or healthcare workers or scientists or physicians and nurses to be a separate entity away from the community they serve, and that's just not true. So what often happens is that when a community has a certain views, of course, some of the healthcare workers, rather than thinking, okay, it's the medical assistants or the nurses, of course, um, the views of hesitancy may be more prevalent in some communities than others. It may be more prevalent in people of uh, certain minorities as opposed to others, or geographically, rural versus urban communities. So it's very important to understand the context. We know that tens of millions of Americans today have received the COVID-19 vaccine, which is you know, obviously safe and highly effective, and are, they're being provided at no cost to the public. Those costs are covered by federal government and by health insurance if you have it. So when we see hesitancy in the community or hesitancy across the country, we will see a similar type of hesitancy in healthcare workers. We'll see a similar type of hesitancy in military workers uh, or our military men and women. So it's very average and normal and understandable to see that. Our job is to really begin to make sure that um, people understand that when it's their turn and a turn and they're eligible, one important way to protect themselves is through the vaccine, but also then um, to be able to balance the risks and benefits of the vaccine. And right now, you know, we know that widespread vaccination can help prevent spread of virus in communities, uh, which obviously reduces the chances for new variants also to emerge. No, I think you answered my question better than I answered my own question because I didn't really consider that. But I guess, you know, if you're a nurse or a physician in your community and you're you're still part of the moms groups and the PTA groups and the other community groups where less than good information can spread. And despite all your training, the emotional side of that, um, you know, especially people who claim to have children who are affected, I guess that can be extremely persuasive, maybe even more than the medical textbooks that you read. Absolutely. As a physician, I can say to you that, you know, I know firsthand how tirelessly health professionals working across the country. However, as you said very eloquently, you know, we're just not physicians or nurses or other healthcare workers. We're also moms and dads and and parents and, and children. 
So it's very important to recognize that we also are part and a living part of that community. So it's very important that now we start to turn into leaders. So it's important that community leaders, whether you're a physician or a nurse or a pastor or a political leader, we're talking about solution. And we're talking about how immunization can serve as a solution to stop the spread of the disease, you know, wearing a mask afterwards as well. So we can not only save lives and prevent our system, healthcare system from being overwhelmed, but actually we can begin to get on with our lives of being normal again at some point or being able to continue, you know, our jobs like we used to do more than a year ago. So part of coming to normalcy over time is also part of being a leader in community and advocating for accurate information and making sure that we're making you know, good decisions based on right information. No, very well put. And I think it's being leadership in the community or attaining leadership in the community, but um, more so now around the SARS-CoV-2 virus than maybe other viruses in the past. Um, years ago, and you mentioned polio, but you know, really in the last decade or so, we've seen a lot more vaccine hesitancy around things like measles. And is it really kind of the same thing as what we're seeing around COVID-19, or is the uh, type of disinformation and misinformation around SARS-CoV-2 even worse? You know, we do have, obviously, uh, which is good in, in freedom of press, we have social media, we have more, much more many more people that are now communicating through mechanisms other than traditional mechanism, which is a good thing for free society. Yet, disinformation can also travel through the same channels and perhaps faster. So it's important that uh, accurate information uh, is also traveling and making sure that people can have the tools to be able to distinguish between, you know, true information, accurate information, and false information. So always go to the source. Look at what is the evidence. So if we become just a tad bit more curious to find solutions, I think we can start to unravel uh, the difference between uh, actual information and that that may not be so true. Okay, so maybe I'll play a little devil's advocate. If, if I'm someone who's a little bit skeptical and concerned, and I go, well... You know, if everyone else is getting vaccinated and everyone else is immune from this or catches it and develops antibodies, then I'm safe. But what are the real effects of hesitancy? Like how how can it affect the pandemic overall? Sure, Kevin. Um, that's a great question, too, uh, because remember, we talk about community immunity and we talk about herd immunity. And the way herd immunity works, of course, as you uh mentioned that a large part of that community or nation is protected through antibodies and it helps protect others that may not be able to get protected. Now, we don't know for exact science is that 70%, 80% with COVID-19. We just don't know that for a fact right now. However, what we do know is America has a aging population, it has a population where we have a lot of people who have, um, unfortunately, diseases like cancer and chemotherapy, like HIV, like some of the other diseases, that they may not be able to mount an immune response as the rest of us. We also have children 
that may not be able to right now have access to vaccine. So there are vulnerable communities within our population that have to be protected as well. As a society, it's incumbent upon us to ensure that we do our part in ensuring that the most vulnerable amongst our population and our communities are protected. And we do that by making sure that we get our vaccination when our term's term comes. Well, again, extremely well put. I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Rahul Gupta. He's the chief medical and health officer for the March of Dimes. And this is the Talking Biotech podcast. And we'll be back in just a moment. Greetings, Talking Biotech aficionados, and thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Thanks to you. You've written great, wonderful reviews on iTunes, and it's quite a beacon to the podcast surfer. Shows your amazing support for this mofo of a science show. And special thanks to you who dared to accept my challenge and got that Talking Biotech tattoo. It's appreciated, but guess what? That tattoo lasts a really long time. It's my hope that someday, a few decades from now, we can look at your dermal commitment to a science podcast and ridicule you for defacing your flesh. Our hope is that your days in assisted living will use that tat as a conversation starter, reminding the elderly of the dark ages when science was shunned for flashy marketing and myth that placed fear over reason. However, with the support of so many listeners, we're moving innovation to application and helping people and planet along the way. So. Tell a friend, write a review on iTunes, and most of all, share the beautiful science that we learn from the expert guests that kindly share their expertise here on the Talking Biotech Podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. I'm speaking with Dr. Rahul Gupta. He's the Chief Medical and Health Officer for March of Dimes. We're talking about vaccine hesitancy. So work of Mar- Mar- the work of March of Dimes has primarily been with children and mothers. So how much of a problem has COVID-19 been for expected mothers? And have we witnessed any complications from the disease or is it just too early to tell? Well, we've seen a lot of data coming out that shows that as opposed to not being pregnant, if you are pregnant and acquire COVID-19, the risk of being hospitalized is much more. The risk of being in ICU is much more. Being on a ventilator is more. And of course, and unfortunately, risk of dying increases as well. So in other words, the state of pregnancy puts one at a higher risk should one acquires COVID-19. We also now know that there's some data coming out as to some um, effects that could happen to the newborn. It's important, that's why, that w- we have now categorized pregnancy as, you know, in, in one of those conditions that have a high risk for outcomes. It's even more important 
that if you're a pre- remember that that if you're a pregnant person and you're working as a frontline worker or a healthcare worker or in one of the other groups that is currently eligible for vaccine or may have other chronic medical conditions then it puts one even at a higher risk so pregnancy itself is a risk factor for poor outcomes with covid-19 but on top of that if one some of our brave healthcare workers as an example also happens to be pregnant and they're working especially in situations like emergency room operating room and other places you know it puts a little more risk of acquiring the infection so it's even more important that um those folks have the opportunity to get the vaccine um so it is important for moms and babies to ensure because especially because um it is eligible you know moms are eligible pregnant persons are eligible and we don't yet have data to demonstrate uh, you know how quickly the babies may be able to get protection if any uh from the mom or any evidence yet of the clinical trials in children okay so that's a really good point so in most states are pregnant women really eligible or is that just a federal guideline for like FEMA and the other federal efforts um they are actually if if you look at some of the county health departments some of the county health departments have made it a priority for pregnant people to be vaccinated and of course we recognize that while initial clinical trials did not include pregnant people of the vaccine there have been subsequent post um injection data that shows us that um you know it lessens the concerns of any um poor outcomes in pregnancy so it's a post marketing so to speak evidence that we have um that we don't seem to have uh, any challenges that have so far been identified and clinical trials for pregnant persons are still running so we have some data especially um you know post marketing data as well as the view of experts that believe that mrna vaccines are unlikely to pose a risk to pregnant and breastfeeding women Okay, so this is where we get to the solution step. The listeners to this podcast are engaged and I think do take leadership roles. So if we wanted to revise our communication strategies to encourage vaccination, what would you recommend they do in trying to get somebody who's on the fence to uh think about vaccine? Is it really just talking about data and statistics or is it more likely talk about how important it is to protect the vulnerable? I think you're right. I think that it starts first by actually understanding where people are coming from, right? So what is the real reason people may be hesitant and to understand that and respect that. When we do that, we're really respecting the views and the concerns of the other person. That's part of leadership. So our leaders need to think and understand that it's not that someone doesn't want to take the vaccine it's because they may have some legitimate concerns because of what they're hearing so it's important to um you know understand those concerns show the evidence and allow people to balance for each group the risks and benefits as i mentioned pregnant women just a minute ago um for most times you know there will be benefits of the vaccine 
versus the risks because it is such a terrible disease should you get it in pregnancy. There may be other conditions that are specific to people that they're concerned about having poor outcomes because of COVID-19. Having a widespread vaccination campaign that can help prevent the spread of the virus also helps us reduce the chance of new variants to emerge. These are some of the things that I think is easier to understand. And as our leaders start to talk about it in a way that is understandable, in a way that's communicable, um, you know, pardon the pun, and in a way that we understand that we all have, we, we can all part, be part of the solution, that immunizations and vaccinations stop spread of the disease and, you know, vaccination saves lives at the end of the day. So we all are wanting at this point with almost a year, over a year now of being in quarantine for many folks to be a part of the solution. We want to be, um, you know, solve the problem at this point. And this is one of the ways for each one of us to play a role in being part of the solution. That's excellent advice. And just as we talk about on the podcast all the time, whenever we're trying to convince somebody else of a scientific point, it's about listening to their concerns, showing empathy, talking about the values you find most important, and then fitting the evidence to reinforce those shared values. And it seems like that's just exactly how we can do it here. If we wanted to learn more about you or follow you on social media, follow the March of Dimes, uh, how would we do that? Well, we are available on social media as well as marchadimes.org on the website. And you can follow up, of course, at marchadimes um, as well as Dr. Gupta MD. Um, so we are um, always um, happy and willing to answer questions, help work with experts in the field to provide the guidance and, and support the guidance and really explain it and talk about it in a way that uh, it makes sense. To, to folks out there. Well, thank you very much. Dr. Raul Gupta, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really good to hear more about vaccine hesitancy and the ways that we can find leadership in our communities or be the leaders to help solve that problem. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Kevin. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. As always, it's a question of listening to people and understanding where they are and not try to create the change, but help other people find the change that you wish for them to have. It's not a question of changing their mind, but helping them change their own mind. And it's that kind of kind, compassionate communication that starts with empathy and ends with values and ends with everybody on the same page. That really makes a difference. It works in vaccine hesitancy too. Give it a shot. <laughs> Be a leader in your circle. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. Write reviews, do all that stuff. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are. But it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast. Which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort. Recommend guests. And support us if it's a few shekels over on Patreon. 
We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.